<laughs> okay, you, we're just going to start it. Okay. Okay. Do you edit this? Uh, kind of. It's like we edit it so that it's like like shows me when I'm talking yeah, to you when you're talking. Stupid if you said something like really stupid, we could take it out. <laughs> Same with me. If I say something okay. really dumb, we can take it out. Just but joking. we haven't had to yet. Okay. So don't be the first one that first makes time. me figure out how to crop stuff out. <laughs> All right. It's difficult. Okay. So let's get this going. So this is the third episode of our new podcast, Showcased, um, where we bring on local entrepreneurs, athletes, people in the community to kind of share their life, their story, um, and just kind of get them out in the community and have some good chats. Uh, so today for our third episode, we've got a pretty inspiring person, Callie Youngstrom. You're an athlete former actor i think author <laughs> wow. coach entrepreneur kind of a bit of everything so thanks for doing this with us thank you well i don't know if actor deserves to be in that <laughs> resume but some of the above actor should be in there you did it once <laughs> one time one time yeah what was that for uh just like a little locally produced movie i don't know i just went i try it all you know yeah, see try everything sticks. once, see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly it. So. Yeah. Okay, so the reason we wanted to get you on is we've worked with you for quite a while in quite a few different capacities. Um, and I kind of think the journey you've went down since I've got to know you five years ago is pretty incredible because you've transitioned so much through so many different things. Like when I knew you, when I met you, you were a very serious competitor in, was it figure? Yeah, figure. Yeah, you were a figure pro. You weren't a pro when I met you, but you turned into a pro yeah. Back then, that would have been in 2015, I think I met you. Oh my God, your memory is so ago. good. I was like, I hope he doesn't ask about a timeline because when did I even get my pro card? But I think, well, yeah, when would it have been? I So because I, I signed on with you guys 2015? Probably 2016 because when we first opened, you were already with somebody else. You got a really good offer from a different competitor of ours and then about a year after that you came over to our team um which was a good decision the dream team. <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah because it's been four years since i retired so already okay, yeah so it, so must it have might been have been late early. 2015 i think then. it was yeah i think it was as soon as you guys opened yeah it was jumped ship and okay well that's cool um but yeah and then since then you went on to do so many different things and i kind of just wanted to talk about like you know go way back and talk about some of that stuff and then get into what you're doing now and uh, talk about what it was like to go through so many big changes because that's something that a lot of people struggle with i think you know they might feel like they're stuck in their role they're stuck with what they feel like they've been doing and they feel like that's what they always have to keep doing and i think you're somebody that's really shown that life doesn't have to be that way Thank you. Yeah, I think there is a lot of identity crisis that comes with making those big changes. And for me, even like getting into bodybuilding and getting into figure competing, that was a transition after wrestling. So I had really had my identity linked in wrestling for a very long time for like a decade. And then I had to retire from that. And it was, you know, what's what's my next thing? Like, what am I going to throw myself into? And bodybuilding happened to be that thing so when were you into wrestling was that a high school thing and then beyond I started very young like elementary like I was in oh. grade four I think 10 years old I started yeah two big brothers they wrestled and of course I wanted to do whatever they did but it's it's way more common for females to wrestle now at that time it was fairly rare still um and it's really grown where I feel like it's almost 50 50 at least around here yeah I started wrestling in high school and I was never near like as serious as you were about it but um it was starting to trend that way there was more girls signing up 
Um, I don't think it was quite 50-50, but it was getting close to yeah. that. And then, like, there's a longtime customer of ours, Xander. You know Xander. His mm-hmm. daughter wrestles, and she's oh, young. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah she's so it's cool to killer. see. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's super cool to see people getting into that yeah. young. And well, and I feel like it was just such a great introduction to especially solo athletics, you know, like whether you, some people call bodybuilding a sport, some people will disagree. It's a very dedicated solo endeavor. Um, And then of course, like powerlifting ended up being kind of part of my transition as well. But wrestling really prepared me for bodybuilding. And I kind of lived and breathed by the fact that if I could wrestle, like I could do a bodybuilding prep, no problem, because it's so challenging at such a young age as well to be, you know, cutting weight and training at that capacity. By the time I got to bodybuilding, I was like, is this a breeze? Yeah. Wrestling, like I know from my little bit of experience is more tiring than probably any other sport that I did. And the conditioning you need to have is incredible. And you need to balance like power with speed, with strength, with stamina, like it's, and yeah, just like the mental fortitude you get from it is pretty cool. So you did that all through high school and then into university, correct? Well, yeah. So I had essentially prepared to wrestle with the U of S. And so I'd been wrestling for 10 years at that point. And then you have to do a medical to compete for the U of S. Um, And at that point, I'd suffered from quite a few serious concussions. Uh, And essentially, I knew if I was going to be honest in that medical and tell them what was really going on I was not going to be allowed to compete Um, and I had kind of kept pushing through this you know pretty serious round of like post-concussive symptoms and I wanted to keep going and so at that time I decided like I had to start thinking more seriously about my future and put my health as number one priority and so of course being honest in this physical I wasn't going to be allowed to compete and I then decided like this was my time to step away from wrestling and because so much of my identity was like intertwined with it it just I kind of just quit cold turkey like that was it yeah once you're done you're done yeah but like realistically probably a good call on your part when you start to see like all the CTE and the the stuff that's coming out on the damage of too many concussions and if you would have you know, if you would have kept pursuing that, I doubt you would have done it like half-heartedly. So there probably could have been a few more concussions yeah, in your future. Absolutely. And, and they it was becoming more and more frequent and they were getting worse and worse and the recovery was taking longer. Like it was very clear I needed a break from it. So Yeah. And is it true that after you get like a con- concussion, it becomes easier to get them again and g- again? Yeah, that's what I've heard. And generally in my experience, absolutely. Like I hardly needed to get bumped at, you know, by the end and would be like black blackout. And yeah, it's pretty serious business. And that's the thing at such a young age as well. So yeah, was ready to take that break. Yeah. Did they prescribe anything like any recommendations for recovering from concussions back then? Like now they're starting to give some like nutrition recommendations and supplement recommendations, but I will disclaim this from I'm from a very small town where I don't know if the (laughs) medical care was at like the foremost of cutting edge um so no it was just rest no movement like nothing specific but now like I focus on ketogenic nutrition I'm like if I was to get a concussion now I or know someone who was a concussion I would instantly put them on a ketogenic protocol yeah and we should get more into the details of that later (laughs) because I know you have a lot of knowledge information on keto um that's not an area that i'm super well versed in um but like probably i'm assuming a lot of the anti-inflammatory benefits and stuff would help Mm -hmm. 
with the concussion. Yeah, one of the biggest thing is immediately post-TBI, so post-traumatic brain injury, which a concussion would be considered, uh, the brain is unable to properly uptake glucose. So this is one of the reasons there's that post-concussive symptom. But if you are on like exogenous ketones, which you would know all about, a ketone supplement, immediately post-concussion, it gives your brain an alternate fuel source, so it That's can still cool. uptake ketones. Yeah, so apparently in the NFL, they're actually having conversations about having that as like a sideline therapy so instantly, if someone's knocked hard, they'll be using exogenous ketones. This is why I love doing this. I already learned something new. <laughs> yeah, I do really like, cool. you know, creatine and omegas. We're starting to get recommended more and more for after concussion. I'm not going to pretend I actually understand why the creatine is getting recommended, but I know it does. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's actually supposed to be pretty helpful. Yeah. But that ketone thing makes a lot of sense. If you can't properly uptake glucose, like your brain's almost essentially starving mm-hmm. for energy. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So you completely quit this wrestling cold turkey. And then is there like a lull period or were you, did you already kind of have your sights set on getting into competing? It was super brief. I basically just knew I needed something, you know, so much of my time and energy had been put into being an athlete from such a young age that I knew for my mental and physical health, like I had to keep training. Um, So I was just getting into university. And at the time, I didn't really know what else to do. So I just started going to the pack, which is the university gym here. And I just started running, I took up running for a little while. Um, And then fairly soon after that, probably within a year, I was introduced introduced to bodybuilding. Um, And I feel like this is the time where bodybuilding around here was really just starting to become popular. Like all of a sudden, everyone was It blew up when it caught on, right? All of a sudden, it was huge. Yeah. So I had never heard of, I remember it very vividly because I had never heard of, you know, figure, bikini wasn't quite as big at that point, but like figure um, was really the main category that was coming up this was like the Dana Lynn Bailey period so I remember I saw like Instagram or something of Dana Lynn Bailey and I was like oh my god who is this like I want to look like her what is this because I'd only ever heard of female bodybuilding in the sense of like female bodybuilders like Like bodybuilding yeah. yeah so I didn't know there was this option to be focused on aesthetics and and that side of thing but not be quite as big you know like not so severe so as soon as I saw figure was an option I was like that's it like I started going to the gym and I was like this is what I'm doing now Uh, and that's how I operate generally I'm like all in or not so I think as soon as I started training I was like the goal was to become a pro Um, yeah yeah you weren't gonna just do it to see how you could do yeah be a pro and it's such a high level of dedication to do well in the sport at any level that I'm like, well, if I'm all in, I might as well just really go for it. So I trained for a year and I was a student. So I was going to not pay a coach and just do my own thing and like do it on a budget. And my attitude was maybe a little overly confident, but I'm like, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. I can at least do well at the novice level, just training hard and, and learning along the way. So I just kind of deep dove into the internet side of things to try and learn as much as possible. Yeah. And you can like to a certain level make up for a lack of like knowledge and experience and guidance with like intensity. If you have that like athletic background, like you had, you already knew how to train somewhat, Mm -hmm. right? Like obviously there's going to come a point where you might need a coach and it's probably a good idea to just get a coach right away. Yeah, But (laughs) you you know, you you can get away with it as you did for a little bit. Yeah, I pushed that for a while. And yeah. then I got, it got to the point where I got a little stubborn with it because I started progressing on my own. And 
you know, didn't want anyone else to take the credit per se. So I maybe well, especially when that's your brand, right? Like your your physique is kind of a big part of your mm. brand at that point, yeah. and you're coaching people. Yeah. So when you can say that you did this to yourself, you coached yourself, yeah. you did the work, everything. It's it's good yeah. marketing. And I was my own experiment. And I think too, it gets to the point where you know your body best. So for a coach to come in, and of course there's high level bodybuilding coaches who have so much experience, you know, they'll be able to see your physique and know what to do. But I find that working with females is a different ball game. I bet. And so, you know, if I was going to bring on a coach, it would take them a year to get to know my body. So I'm paying them thousands and thousands of dollars for a year of frustration and trial and error where, you know, at this point I've been an athlete my whole life, you know, started training myself and, and focusing on the nutrition side of bodybuilding where I was like, I, no one is going to know my body better than I do. So I just kept experimenting and it worked well enough that I kind of just kept going and I did dabble with a couple coaches here and there and I never had a great experience with them. So I just kept doing my own thing. Yeah. And did you, so did you coach yourself all the way up? To becoming a pro then? Yeah, I coached. So I only actually, my competition uh, lifespan was very short. I kind of went like quick and dirty in yeah. that I was going to go as hard as I can and get out as soon as possible. Um, and that was always my goal. Like I just yeah. wanted to become a pro, compete as a pro, and I didn't plan on doing it for the rest of my life. So I trained for a year before my first competition and then I competed um, you know, as an amateur for three years. And then at the end of the third year, I won my pro card. And so I had got to, I placed third at nationals on the year that I ended up winning my pro card. And it was at that point that I tried to hire a coach. And this is like one of my favorite stories is that at, so I, I placed, oh, sorry, I should preface this by, I placed first at provincials, but I didn't win the overall. Okay. And was very upset about it clearly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh and like part of bodybuilding is that it's subjective mm -hmm. uh you know it's just a different debate for a different time but so I I won my class at provincials but didn't win the overall I was pretty upset about it and it was actually at that point that I tried to hire a coach and the coach that I had as my number one want refused to work with me. Um, you know, nationals was coming up in, in a month or so, and I was already conditioned. And once you get to that point of conditioning, you know, it's, well, if there's another show going, you might as well do it. Like, that was the approach that I took. I'm like, I might as well do nationals, even if I'm not going to, you know, place top five or whatever. I just want to do it, see if I can bring my physique in a little bit better. And I love the competition side of things. So I uh, asked a certain coach if they would work with me and they said no really? and said I wasn't ready for nationals. And not only like would he not coach me, but that I should take a year off. And if I ever want to like do well at nationals and potentially become a pro in the future, I should just take this whole year, year off. And, you know, it probably was decent advice, like based on how I did it provincials but I was not taking that as an answer so I just ignored that and continued on and I did find someone to help me for like the last couple of weeks before nationals and then I ended up going and placing third at nationals which was wow. great for me yeah. yeah and so this was the kind of like it's always something that I pulled on it was probably good advice from that coach but I also just had that fortitude and wasn't going to take kind of no as an answer and if I would have listened to that person, I honestly believe it, I wouldn't have gotten my pro card that year and maybe not for years, you know, yeah, just it's tough to know what could happen yeah. if you take a year like that. So it's just one of those unknowns. And so I like use that as a reminder now of like, just 
you know, not listening to the naysayers type of attitude. And don't take shit. Yeah. And yeah. so then I placed third at nationals, which qualified me for North Americans. And at North Americans, I ended up winning my pro card. That was in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. 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 I remember that. That was cool. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. And I mean, I say it all the time, like I was blessed to win that day. And I think there's a huge aspect of luck. Like the cards could have fallen anyway. And when you get to that level of competition, especially at North Americans, every girl on stage is on point yeah they're all incredible so it's picking from a very yeah. like deep lineup of people yeah. who could all be up in the up in the mix right yeah and my kind of like bread and butter was conditioning I'm not going to be the biggest my genetics aren't the best but I will outwork anyone and I will be as lean and shredded like that was my thing because that was what I could control so that day they were really rewarding conditioning and I Got lucky that day. I remember your work ethic back then. Like, what did a day in the life of you look like oh when you're God. prepping for a show like that? <laughs> well, this was one of the beauties uh, is that I ended up really, like, naturally, very organically growing into becoming a fitness coach. And so, you know, I had gone through university. Well, you and I both went to Edwards, business school. Yeah. yeah. So I had a psych degree, and then I had a marketing degree, and it was while I was in university I started bodybuilding. So I started doing social media, just posting my own journey, which led to people inquiring, you know, about what I'm doing and could I help them. So that's when I became a personal trainer and started kind of doing the online coaching at the same time I was going to university. So by the time I had graduated with my second degree, my business was there. And yeah. so I just went all in to this online fitness and wellness business, which allowed me so much freedom of schedule. So I feel like I always need to give the disclaimer of I had every luxury to be able to design my schedule and prioritize my training, which, you know, when you're training at that level goes such a long way. Like you, Ronnie Coleman it's, was yeah. trying to be a police, police officer. officer and, you know, train and diet and everything. So, you know, I had it very cushy in that regard. So I, yeah, would do, I generally was in the gym, like, Three hours a day. So I, it took me a lot to be conditioned. And I always just, you know, do as I say, not as I do. This was what I did at the time. Now I probably would approach things a little bit differently. But at the time uh, I was doing, an generally in prep, an hour of fasted cardio in the morning on the Stairmaster. Um, you know, and then I'd have my day of meals, probably have like four meals go back to the gym for an hour of weights and then I'd do an hour of cardio right after my weights. Then I'd come home, eat, do half an hour of posing and then eat again and go to bed. <laughs> so you got like two hours of cardio, hour, hour of workout, yeah. 30 minutes of posing yeah. practice and then all the time and it goes into preparing all yeah, your meals. Six or seven meals a day. And I, that was the, like, as soon as I was done bodybuilding, I started fasting because I was so sick of eating Every couple Six hours. and seven meals a day. And just the prep, yeah, it was constant, like, dishes and cooking. And I was so burned. I got, I can't imagine, the, like, Travis Smith and guys yeah, like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, no. and Travis, he cooks every meal of his fresh. Yeah. So, like, he doesn't do any prep and microwave yeah, stuff. But all day. It's, yeah, I think that'll change for him once he's done school. Like, right now, he can yeah. make it work. If you have the ability yeah. And to, he knows yeah. that that's not, like, his forever way. But he says, well, I might as well yeah. do it while I can. Well, and enjoy it as food. much as you can. Yeah. So it was just a constant. And that's the thing. When people say bodybuilding is a lifestyle, it's no joke. Like, yeah. and if you want to take it seriously, that is the level of commitment that it's going to be. And, like, I really got to the point where I'm like, if I'm investing this much, I'm going all the way with it. Like failure in this was not an option when I'd sacrificed that much time and effort and invested so much financially as well. You know, it's not a yeah. cheap sport by any means. So when you get to kind of like, you know, the pinnacle achieving your 
pro card, like, was that a hard decision to let it all go essentially? Or did it not really feel like letting it all go because you could transition it, like keep it to help your business still? Or how did you come to that? So it was interesting winning the pro card because I thought I would have like this overwhelming sense of joy. And I'd, you know, for years watched videos of, you know, men and women winning their pro card. And it's like the most amazing response. And for me, I remember it was like this sense of relief, you know, like I'd been working so hard and I don't want to say for so long, but for three years it was like eat, sleep, breathe. It consumes you. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just kind of was like, okay, like it was reassuring almost like it was worth it. And you know, this is something that was worth the effort and sacrifice. And because you sacrifice a lot of like relationships, you know, I had lost a lot of friends in that process, which again, like I was young, I would approach things differently now. And it's just time sacrificed. Right. And like you would know with business even. So uh, it's one of those things when it pays off and you can feel that it was worth it. It's almost just a sense of relief, I think, as much as it is excitement. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. As much so as then it was competing for a year as a, as a pro. And that was really eye opening because I recognized where my ability lied, like was going to go. And just being honest and realistic with myself. And again, I think coaching myself for so long really helped with this, that I could be very honest in assessing my physique. I wasn't going to win the Olympia. And so it was, what do I do? Keep sacrificing my, you know, lifestyle and my health at that point, you know, being that lean for that long, especially as a woman is very challenging, which was one of the reasons I, you know, inevitably ended up retiring, um, for what, 10 years, pushing myself to maybe make it to the Olympia one day. Like I just knew my genetics weren't there. And I think I really pushed myself to see what my body could do. You know, my genetics were so, so I had a great base, you know, having been an athlete for so long and I would work my ass off. And I think I took that really as far as it was going to go. And so I had, you know, gotten what I came for. Um, And I ended my, it was once I thought I brought my best physique to stage so I, my last show was the Vancouver pro show in, it must've been 2016. And I saw the photos and I was like, that's it. Like I can't, I'm, I'm, I can't do better. And I don't want to be bigger because that was also an interesting, like slippery slope where the figure category all of a sudden started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, I don't want to look like that. So what I would need to look like to be competitive in this division is not really what I'm interested in. It's not what you wanted anymore. Yeah. Yeah, And it doesn't feel functional. Like I was starting to not feel good in my body. My health was starting to suffer. Like I was getting strep throat all the time because my immunity was through the floor because I was so lean, you know, I was trying to maintain under 10% body fat. You were always dreaded. Yeah. And that was, that was part of it. And this is why coaches would generally recommend. So again, like the coach who turned me down, I did understand where he was coming from. I was just not willing to take it as an answer at that time. But you know, it's a lot of people will recommend like compete hard for a year and then take some time off so they can, you know, let your body recover and then come back. And you know, I didn't do that in, in that way. And I knew what the the risk of that was. I knew I was risking like hormonal metabolic health and, you know, you and anyone else who was kind of paying attention at the time saw the bounce back that I had after that, where it took me a really long time to recover. But no, it was difficult to make that decision to stop. And it was kind of like wrestling where it was just like, it was a cold turkey thing. Um, And I think a lot of people who were watching at the time kind of expected me to go back to it eventually. And I kept reassuring everyone like, I'm done. done." So you knew you were done. Yeah. Like for good. Yeah. I knew I was done. And 
because I would have been, you know, 26, 26 at the 25, 25 at the time. Um, and, you know, even things like being a woman, not having a period for years where I'm like, well, I, yeah, I started this journey when I was in my early 20s. I wasn't really thinking about having kids at that time, but that's not necessarily a door I want to choose to close now and make decisions at 25 that are going to affect that for the rest of my life. Things like that where priorities were just changing. Yeah, things that could be irreversible that yeah. you're not sure on. Yeah, and there was a time where I was maybe willing to sacrifice that, and as I aged and you know just grew and matured through my bodybuilding journey, I was getting to the point where I'm like, okay, maybe... You need to slow down and make yeah. different decisions. Well, when you're in your early 20s, like, you know, like 50 sounds so old or 40 sounds so old. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're close to 30 and yeah. doesn't sound so old yeah. anymore. And it was, yeah, it was not an easy choice by all means because people had really come to know me as a bodybuilder. So it was like, you know, it used to be Callie the wrestler. And then for so long it was Callie the bodybuilder. Like I remember this very strange period where, so my Instagram handle was KY fit yeah. and I would just like go to supplement world or something and people would be like, Hey, Kai fit and like not know me, but knew, you know what I did. And like, that was what they associated with me. And my branding at the time was fairly severely like interlinked with bodybuilding. So that was a unique part of it too, where was my business was so intertwined with what I was doing personally that when I decided to go away from bodybuilding, so did the business. And that was very nerve wracking of, how are clients going to respond? You know, how is the brand going to change? And it, I, it I could not have been more blessed with how everyone just kind of grew and changed with me. Yeah, but see, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Like, that's a huge yeah. change to go from essentially like a bodybuilding or fat loss coach, yeah. right, to more of like a lifestyle. Yeah. Like, oh, it was terrifying. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was so worried it would all fall apart or that once I wasn't shredded, to the bone anymore. People wouldn't trust that I knew what I was doing, but I had to just take the approach of, you know, if people leave, those are not my people and I'll find new people. And it, what I learned was people just were totally invested and supportive of me. And I was just so lucky that people were willing to kind of go where I was going. And, you know, I lost a ton of supporters, like the social media thing at that point was very, scary and interesting to just see there was a huge group of people who were specifically there because I was doing bodybuilding and the minute I announced I wasn't bodybuilding anymore they were gone um and so it got it you know really made me scared but I was just confident that the knowledge that I had acquired through this journey with bodybuilding and even my transition out of it was knowledge I'd be able to share with others and I'd be able to you know create a following and and gain support in this new journey and it's been so positive yeah that's super good it um it is weird with social media like that because like it must feel so personal when all of a sudden people aren't interested anymore right but i mean on the flip side of that like there was people there specifically to see your bodybuilding journey right like they didn't know you but like it just it must feel very personal when all of a sudden they unfollow or stop liking everything or whatever Mm -hmm. anything like that oh it was very difficult because you know i I never got too focused on the numbers, but it's a business and it's direct marketing. So, you know, while I was bodybuilding, the numbers were just constantly climbing up. And then the day I did like announced I was done, I think I lost like 5,000 followers. And then like by the end of the week, it was like 
10,000 followers. And then I panic. I'm like, what if it just keeps yeah, going? It's a dagger. Yeah. But the beauty is that my business growth was not actually reflected in that change in social media numbers. And that was a great lesson for me to get to, you know, recognize in my kind of mid twenties that what's happening on social media isn't necessarily reflective of what's happening in business. So since I've stopped bodybuilding, my business has only continued to grow. And part of that is because bodybuilding is a very niche, especially for women. And, you know, I was in figure, which is even more niche. I think it kind of goes up by category. Like, you know, bikini is a little bit more widely accepted. Figure is then a little bit more extreme. And then there's physique, which is even more extreme. And then, of course, women's bodybuilding, which would be the most niche to the point where it's almost getting retired out of the sport. Like, that's how small it's becoming. So figure was a lot for most people and the average woman I would say doesn't actually desire to look like that right so there were women who were you know following along and supporting me but it wasn't actually until I kind of transitioned to a more healthy you know athletic body that they actually wanted to work with me because what I was doing in the past was too extreme for for them and what they wanted and I was sacrificing health at that time and so how can I really be coaching and preaching health to the utmost extent when I'm not prioritizing mine so this transition where now I've just been so focused on you know internal physical health like from metabolism to hormones to mental health I think has just allowed me to reach a, a larger subset of of people which is awesome yes like who is your average client right now or do you even have one is it all sorts of different people It's fairly broad, but generally women like 25 to 50 um, and a lot of mothers. And so even that is so unique to me because I'm very clearly not a mother at this point (laughs) in my life, uh, cat mom. And yet these women resonate with me for whatever reason and I can connect with them. And, you know, so I feel so blessed for my clientele to kind of, you know, have expanded into what it is now because when I was bodybuilding, it was very niche. Like I was doing extreme diets for people, which is what they wanted. And I was providing the results that they wanted, but I was having a little bit of a moral dilemma because, you know, health was my number one priority. And I was always kind of, you know, living by that saying, like, do as I say, not as I do. I'm sacrificing my health to be this lean for bodybuilding, but I don't actually want you doing that. So I got to a point where I didn't want to be coaching bodybuilding anymore because I wasn't willing to ask people to sacrifice their health how I knew I was, you know, sacrificing mine. So if you had somebody want a bodybuilding prep coach right now would you even take them on as a client oh or no for you years wouldn't? i've said no you just say no yeah do you do you just pass them to somebody else or do you yeah. Just, yeah and sometimes i'll give my honest opinion on what i think about the sport yeah now like my opinion changed a lot about and again it's everybody's body is different yeah. some people are genetically elite when it comes to bodybuilding where they don't have to do two hours of cardio a day so their longevity and you know the sustainability of the sport is a lot different than for me, like I didn't have great genetics. I just would work to make them work for me as much as I could. And so I think that for most women, it doesn't end up being worth it. And again, not to necessarily deter anyone, but I just don't feel like there's a lot of honest conversation about that side of things. It's yeah, it is like a, it's a hard sport to talk about because I'm a huge fan of bodybuilding. Yeah, well, I and love me, t- it. Like, yeah. me too. And, I have been. I, I love seeing like, the, I love seeing, I don't know if you can use the word freaks, but you know, like the really big guys or buddy Travis, stuff like that. I love watching it. Um, but I've also seen some people chase it too long when they're past the point yeah. where it's going to go somewhere. And if you're doing it as a hobby and you're keeping it healthy, I'm 
do it forever. That's great. Mm -hmm. But I have seen people sacrifice a lot of other opportunity um, when they're not willing to maybe let certain parts of that lifestyle go. And that's sad to see sometimes, but like, yeah, like I I am a huge fan of the sport. Yeah. Sport. Yeah. There's parts of it that are hard and challenging to talk about and there's health issues, but I also think that's any sport at the top level. And I think that that's, you know, business at the top level. I don't think that working all day, every day and stressing is very healthy. Um, (laughs) So I think like, sounds familiar. (laughs) yeah, like, you know, there's no judgment there, but I think you're right. The, it it would be tough constantly saying like the, the do as I say, not as I do in your coaching. Yeah. And I think a lot of coaches will also take on anyone. If someone comes to you and says, you know, oh, I've never, I don't really work out and I've never dieted before, but I want to do a show. Yeah. Some coaches will take that on. And instead I would recommend like, let's start with a lifestyle approach and see how that goes. And, you know, working with lots of mothers, sometimes I will have people come to me and they want to do a prep and I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about what it really takes. And if you want to do well, what time it's going to take, what financial investment it's going to take, the time away from your kids and your family. Like, is that worth it for you? Again, one of the reasons I did it how I did it, where I got in and out quickly, I was young, I didn't have a family, I didn't have a lot of external responsibilities. No way would I want to sacrifice that time now at, you know, at 29 and with relationships and families. Like, I just wouldn't be willing to. And so that's one of the reasons I did it young because I knew I wouldn't be willing to long term. So it's just finding that balance of what you're, you know, willing and able to sacrifice, what your lifestyle allows. Again, I work from home. I have all the flexibility in the world. It's a different conversation if you have kids and you're working a nine to five and finances are spread and resources are limited. Like it's just completely different. And I think that sometimes the draw an appeal of bodybuilding like blinds people from thinking about the logistics of those yeah, day-to-day really things goes into it yeah because i would love to look like those guys do but like it's it's a lot that goes into mm. it it's time sacrifice it's hard yeah. um but okay so anyways getting back to your kind of business and your transition out of bodybuilding mm. so you're very into ketogenic nutrition now yeah. and we talked a little bit about that earlier so did you go straight into like a keto diet after you got out of bodybuilding? So I was almost always keto while I was competing. Oh. Um, And this was, again, like one of the issues that I had working, I didn't want to work with coaches because I felt better eating keto. So I started eating keto-based. And I say keto-based because I have had periods of going in and out while I was bodybuilding, specifically for the certain look on stage, um, like to fill up and look a bit bigger on stage, but like prepping, I felt better on keto. I trained better on keto. I wanted to always be keto if I could. And I recognized that in my early twenties while I was going to university, I was really having like having brain fog. I just felt like I couldn't focus. Something felt off. I noticed when I stopped eating carbs in the morning, I started feeling better. So at this point, no one was really talking about keto. Um, like it's only been the last couple of years. that's really exploded. This was, I kind of just fell into it. So I kept cutting out carbs and kept feeling better and better. I had no idea what ketosis even was at this point. Like, you know, eight, nine years ago, I just was like, well, this is what makes me feel good. So I'll stick with it. Then I start researching and I'm like, okay, I'm onto something like this is a totally different metabolic state. And there's all of this 
incredible research about it. So I really went down the rabbit hole with that. And so by the time I was like 21, the amount I knew about keto, I was like, I will never eat another way long-term. Like this is it for me in terms of what it can do, like for metabolic health, hormonal health, longevity, disease prevention. Like once I knew what I knew with keto, there was no going back. So, so what are some of the, the highlights of what it can do? So first of all, just like, on a basic day-to-day. Most people are going to feel way better energy, way better cognitive clarity, less hunger, less cravings, no slumps throughout the day because you're controlling your blood sugar. And so, for example, when people wake up ravenously hungry in the morning or wake up feeling groggy all the time, it's often a sign you're waking up in low blood sugar. And that's expected to happen. If you're eating carbs for supper or carbs before bed, well, your blood sugar spikes. And then in the middle of the night or by the time you wake up, you're waking up in a low blood sugar state. So you're not going to wake up feeling ideal. So then you have carbs in the morning to bring your blood sugar back up. You have a spike, right? And then by 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., you have a a lull. And this is where people have like that mid-morning slump. And it happens again after lunch when you had the mid-afternoon slump and all of a sudden it's 3 p.m. and you need a nap or you're craving sugar. It's all your body trying to level your blood sugar. Whereas with keto, if you just are eating a sustained ketogenic diet, your blood sugar is stable throughout the day, it will never be as low as it goes on a carb-based diet, which is very counterintuitive for people. People think if you're not eating glucose, you must end up having low blood sugar all day. But our body is a magical thing. And this is like one of the many arguments I would have that maybe our natural state's actually meant to be ketogenic, that we can create and control just enough glucose as we need. So our body needs a very small amount of glucose to survive. We don't need to ingest that glucose. Our body can naturally create exactly the amount that we need through gluconeogenesis, which is essentially, you know, non-glucose substrates being converted to glucose within the body. So of the three macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fat, protein is essential. Fat is essential. There's nothing essential from carbohydrates and there's not a single um, micronutrient available within carbs that you can only get through carbs. So is there anybody that you wouldn't recommend keto to? Very rarely, very Very rarely. rarely. Like I work a lot with diabetics, type one and type two. Um, A lot of times you'll hear the word ketoacidosis pop up when you talk about type one diabetics specifically. That is only going to happen if you're an uncontrolled type one diabetic. It's essentially very almost impossible for anyone to go into ketoacidosis unless you're an uncontrolled type one diabetic. So it's kind of this like fear monger thing that we've heard like whispers of for years, but it just isn't really something that comes up. Um, incredible for type one, type two diabetics. Um, the only time I would maybe not recommend a pure ketogenic diet if is for someone doing specifically like hit sports, like something um, where you're using a combination of like high intensity sprints and then also endurance, I would actually recommend a like targeted keto or like a combined keto carb approach. But again, there's not really anyone who I would say no go keto because of how it works in the body. And so when you're working in a ketogenic state, you can tap into 70,000 calories of stored energy. When you're running on carbs, you've got 2,000, maybe as an elite athlete, 3,000 calories of stored energy. So like, we're no one's having this conversation in, in athletics. I'm like, if we're playing sports for over an hour, which most professional sports are over an hour, why would we not opt for the system of energy that's 
essentially an endless supply of energy versus the system where we bonk out at 2000 calories. That's not normal. We've normalized it. Um, you know, and I have not for a lot of years, especially in the bodybuilding community, I was not super outspoken about keto because I get it gets a lot of flat. It can be polarizing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, you know what? The research, the research speaks for itself. And when I got into keto, I didn't have eggs in any basket. I was under, I was researching anything and everything about nutrition. I've tried plant-based, I've tried carbs, like I've tried everything. And I was just always listening to, to my body to see what felt the best. Keto miles and above felt the best. It's a totally different experience than eating carbs for me. And so that led me to the research. And once you really look into the research, it's pretty phenomenal. And I say it all the time, and I mean it when I say it, that I really believe keto is the way of the future. People are slowly starting to understand the benefits of it. And, you know, even the medical community is starting to recommend it for certain things. So in terms of like just immediate benefit, all of those things that I recommended, like you're just generally feeling better, even things like libido, you know, people will notice their libido increases. And a lot of that comes from hormonal balance that's happening on keto. And you might've noticed weight loss wasn't even one of the top benefits that I re like listed within that. But my theory is that when you eat in the way that makes you feel best, it's also going to inherently be the thing that brings your weight to a healthy set point. Keto is also more beneficial for sustained weight loss. And the research actually shows that sustained dieting on a keto approach is more realistic than on a carb-based diet. So it's actually easier to sustain long-term. And again, people have a lot of misconceptions about that. And there's a lot of hormonal reasons that it's easier to maintain uh, a sustained ketogenic diet versus a carb-based diet because of how things like your leptin and ghrelin and your like basal metabolic rate are, are changing. In terms of longevity, huge longevity in terms of delaying aging actually like on a physiological level because of how the mitochondria of the cell responds to ketogenic nutrition and then disease prevention so this is one of the reasons for me personally especially so being a woman and having suffered from tbi with so many concussions i'm at a, a way higher risk for alzheimer's and dementia so similar to how the brain can't properly uptake glucose after a concussion, we're finding that with dementia, the brain can't properly uptake glucose, glucose either. So you'll often hear Alzheimer's, for example, being called type three diabetes is because the brain's not able to utilize glucose similar to in diabetes. The body's not, not properly. Yeah. So That's cool. Learning. Um, and this is why it's so fun for me to talk about keto because people just don't know and don't know that there's another way. And like, what if what we've known isn't the best way you yeah. know because if we really look back like historically as humans carbs have only been the base of our diet for a very very specific and short amount of time before that we would have inherently been ketogenic and so again like maybe we just got a little off off track and there's a lot of reasons behind my theory for that but in terms of longevity and disease prevention um you know we'll find that people who are experiencing and suffering from, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia, they're not able to properly uptake glucose in the brain. They can still uptake ketones and their brain function and their symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia are rapidly reduced eating a ketogenic diet or using exogenous ketones, hopefully both ideally. So this is where the conversation kind of goes from nutritional ketosis, which is generally what I'm doing with the majority of my clients to therapeutic ketosis. So, um, things like epilepsy, that's what the 
most of the research originally was revolved around epilepsy. Um, people with epilepsy will have much reduced seizures using a ketogenic diet. And before medicine came into play, that was what was being used. Um, and then now we're seeing MS, Parkinson's, cancer, all hugely impacted in a, in a positive way from ketogenic nutrition. And again, it's come down, comes down to a lot of the mitochondria of the cell. And then things like cancer, will cancer cells feed off of glucose? So what happens when we take away the main energy source for a cancer cell? It has nowhere to grow. It can't proliferate. So tumors are even being reduced. And again, it's not, I'm not saying it's the be all end all, but if this is another tool that we can use in synergy with other tools, why not do as much as we can naturally and use that as an aid with the medical approach? Yeah, I've heard this stuff about cancer and been very like interested in that before because, well, I, I've never, I haven't really picked a, a camp on like the yeah. keto or not keto lifestyle. I don't, I don't do keto, but when people want to do keto, I don't tell them it's a bad idea. Mm -hmm. I, I have a pretty open mind to different dietary options for, you yeah. know, people's lifestyles and goals. Um, but the cancer thing I, I have heard, and I think that's pretty interesting. I feel like we could have like a three-hour talk <laughs> where I play devil's advocate to all these yeah. arguments because I don't fully, I don't, I'm not qualified to, to touch on a lot of these mm -hmm. points. Um, it'd be cool to have somebody like who could, and you guys could go back and forth okay. on them. Um, one thing I've always wondered about is what about like the stuff you hear about the cholesterol? I knew you were Yeah, that because that's one that a lot of people yeah. have heard. So and it's again, a lot, there's a lot of fear mongering in nutrition. And something that I always think is very important with nutrition is take emotion out of it. Like, I'm not going to get upset if someone is battling me about keto. Again, it's, it's not like I actively went into keto with any sort of skin in the game of, you know, like it was yeah. once I learned so much about every, uh, all, because all I do is study nutrition. And, yeah. you know, at this point I've been studying more specifically keto for close to a decade. Like it's, it's just so powerful. So uh, there's no emotion in it. I only, you know, I'm uh, disappointed if I know it can really be helping someone and they're closed off because of what we've heard and what we've been taught. But, um, unfortunately a lot of what we've been recommended is financed by people who are in a certain camp so a lot of food research, me for the podcast, say in air quotes, <laughs> um, you know, is funded by big food companies. Um, so, for example, and I feel like this all sounds very conspiracy theorist on my part almost, but it's true. Um, you know, there's a lot of, let's say, ex for example, research showing like, okay, athletes need carbs and they need intra-workout carbs and we need pre and post-workout carbs. Some of that's funded by like Gatorade. So... I mean, of course, a little biased. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so again, and this is, oh my goodness, with all the Netflix food documentaries and stuff, I'm like, I won't even watch it until I look at who funded it and who created it. Because more often than not, it's one side of the argument. So, um, game changers, is that yep, the, the new plant-based? Yeah. Don't, don't get me started <laughs> on that, but it's funded by the owner of a plant-based protein company. So what do you think they're going to show? Like, you know, and, and then people don't do their own research. So this is an issue for me. I'm like, do your own research. You decide. And I really, truly believe if most people are willing to be open to the research of keto, everyone would eat this way. Like, yeah. that's how powerful it is. And again, I know I sound like a little bit preachy about it, but I've seen it absolutely change people's lives and health and health and, you know, decrease 
disease. My brother, for example, I talk about a lot because he doesn't yell at me, you know, to throw him <laughs> out as an example, um, was type two diabetic, you know, on metformin and through ketogenic nutrition alone, we've gotten him completely off metformin and, you know, essentially reversed his type two just using nutrition. Um, I've yeah, had there's a lot of applications where you can't argue that keto is a good idea. Yeah. Like obviously epilepsy, type two diabetes. Yeah. yeah. And for most people, even the average person who's disease free, I think the quality of life is probably going to be dramatically increased eating a ketogenic diet, like honestly. But in terms of cholesterol, unfortunately, we're still repeating a lot of research that has essentially now been pulled. Um, So anytime this conversation comes up, you'll hear the name Ansel Keys. So Ansel Keys was uh, like, I guess, I think 1950s was when he was really putting out the majority of his so-called research, but he was picky cherry picking results. And unfortunately, a lot of this information around cholesterol was cherry picked results, which was not really being honest about the relationship with diet and cholesterol and its health effects. What we know now is that about 80% of cholesterol is controlled with the body. So if you eat more cholesterol in your diet, your body will produce less cholesterol endogenously and vice versa. So there's really only about a 20% window that's being controlled by nutrition. And when we eat high cholesterol on a ketogenic diet, it's not necessarily impacting cholesterol in the blood. We're finding that the combination of fat and carbs or carbs only is the worst thing for cholesterol. So when we're... Sorry, can you repeat that? You said the combination of fat fat and carbs. carbs. So high fat and high carbs together. So this is where, you know, if you're going to do keto, you got to do it. You can't be eating that level of fat and then like eating carbs one day and then keto the next day and carbs and keto and carbs and keto. That's not going to set you up for a healthy metabolic state because you're not allowing your body to transition into, you know, a deep state of ketosis. And that's where cholesterol can be negatively impacted. So if you're eating high fat and high carbs together, um, one of the little like gentle natural reminders I like to give is that carbs and fat do not naturally exist in combination in almost any food in nature. So maybe it's not something we're supposed to be eating. Yeah. You know, together, and I know people will argue, yeah, eat fat with carbs to bring down the glucose load, da, da, da. Like, I just think we can look at it from a more natural perspective of maybe this is not what we're meant to be eating in combination. Yeah, that's one of my biggest concerns with when people start a keto diet. So not a concern with keto, but a concern with when people start it. Yeah, because a lot of people that we deal with, they're, they're doing keto but they're not really doing keto. And I think that that's potentially one of the worst things you mm-hmm. could be doing. You know, they're, they're doing all the bacon that they hear they can yeah. eat and the sausage and all the bad stuff, but then they're still having, I shouldn't say yeah. bad stuff, but then they're still having enough carbs that they're not in ketosis, yeah. right? And that's where it can Oh yeah, bad. so I call that like no man's land. And this is why I always say properly formulated ketogenic diet. I can't express how important I think it is to honestly, like not to just self-plug, work with anyone who's a great keto coach, but- if you're going to do keto and you want to do it right and get a good experience off the bat so you can create it as the base of your lifestyle, work with a coach to help you properly formulate a ketogenic diet because it's not necessarily going to be a positive experience for you if you just follow what's on the internet. And unfortunately, people will also often think that they've tried keto 
but they actually haven't even gotten into ketosis. And then they like leave with a sour taste in their mouth, never trying keto again, but that wasn't actually what they achieved. And so they never felt any of the health benefit. But in terms of the cholesterol thing, um, we're finding that often cholesterol is actually positively impacted by keto. I have clients come off cholesterol medication all the time counter very counterintuitive so we're seeing that carbs actually have one of the biggest impacts on cholesterol and then there's also a whole new subset of research showing like maybe high cholesterol in the blood doesn't actually mean anything too negative i've seen some of that stuff coming yeah. out too. so yeah. the carnivore conversation often goes in that direction of okay maybe my cholesterol is slightly elevated all my other biomarkers are in, improved and my arteries are essentially clean so what is this high cholesterol really reflecting? You know, so this is an issue now where people are maybe doing keto and their cholesterol does go up a little bit, but it's not necessarily worth panicking about. You know, so what if your cholesterol is slightly increased, everything else is fine and everything else has improved? Do you then like throw the baby out with the bathwater and you're like, well, you know, my blood sugar's down, everything else is good, I've lost weight, I'm feeling better, my libido's up, my period's regular, but my cholesterol's up, so, you know, I, I better not do keto. Yeah, it's tough to know because we're just we're going off like the biomarkers, yeah. if that's the right word that we have and that we're right. told we should be using and monitoring. Right? And it's definitely shifting. It's definitely yeah. shifting. And so even like the conversation of LDL and HDL, like that's changing so much where we used to be so focused on, oh, well, LDL is the bad cholesterol. Like, first of all, it's not even a cholesterol. It's literally a protein, but that's people don't understand. And so, again, we get caught up in like this fear mongering instead of self-education. And I think when it comes to nutrition and when it comes to healthcare, and then let's move up to big pharma, like we need to self-educate and move forward being our own advocates for our own health, you know, and obviously nutrition and also healthcare is part of that, but we should educate first versus, you know, maybe just taking on whatever opinion we're, you know, being told. Um, like look at the Canadian food guy. That's a million issues that yeah. start. And that's what we learn is our first like introduce introduction to nutrition. But yeah, so what we're seeing with how cholesterol is being interpreted now is really starting to shift. So with LDL, LDL doesn't give us the full picture at all. There's two different particle sizes of LDL. Your VLDL. And yes. Your LDL, and nobody right? talks about that here. And also you can't get a hold of that information here. So how do you know it? So all of a sudden you're panicking that your LDL is high, but what if it's, so for those of you who don't know, we could just talk about its particle sizes. There's big fluffy particle sizes that basically don't clog the arteries if we're simplifying it. And then there's these very small, dense particles that are not beneficial. We don't know when we see LDL, what that ratio is. That would tell us so much more. Yeah. So much yeah. more. So anyways, yeah. Cholesterol is honestly something I do not worry about. If you're on a properly formulated ketogenic diet, I always say, you know, this isn't a conversation about getting away with what you can. If you're going to do keto, it's like any type of nutrition. Even if you are eating carbs, I would want your carbs to be coming from the most natural nutrient dense source. The same goes for food with keto, you know, just like the 90, 10 rule or whatever you want to use as like a, a ratio the majority of your food should be coming from whole natural sources because that's what's going to make you feel your best and that's what's going to give you the most nutrient value per serving of whatever food you're intaking. Yeah, and I think a lot of people use that when they're arguing about certain diets being bad. Yeah. They'll, they'll kind of weaken the diet down and use the worst possible example. Yeah. So they'll say, oh, keto's bad. You just eat bacon, sausage. Yeah. And well, it's what can I get away with? Yeah, and that's and why people say if it fits your macros is so no. bad because <laughs> they think you're just eating Oreos yeah. and protein shakes, right? But yeah. like it's it's... It's a lot more than it that. It can be you done that way. You could have a healthy way. keto diet or you yeah. could have an unhealthy keto diet. Yeah. You could be in ketosis 
and probably be very unhealthy if you ate the wrong foods. I mean, yeah, even still, I might argue to say that it's still superior to a carb-based diet, depending, like, and... Even, it, like, a like a healthy, like, healthy is a pretty... It depends how, I will say, that depends, I think, on how your body responds to glucose. Okay. My body responds horribly to glucose. It doesn't matter if it's a banana or, I mean, bread's the worst, gluten... I think most people, whether they're willing to admit it or not, are slightly sensitive to gluten, if not very sensitive. Um, but if it's banana, sweet potato, bread... I feel like shit. Like to be like, like what I, do you feel like? Like tired or foggy, my energy's low, all of a sudden I'll be starving all the time. If I have like a day or two where I go away from keto, which honestly rarely happens because I don't I don't want to. Like I'm at the point where I've been eating this way so long. There's never really a oh my god, I wish I could have this carb or not because it's all about how my body feels. I feel so much better eating fat fueled that I don't crave any sort of carbohydrates. I crave protein. I crave fat. Um, but if I do have carbohydrates, you know, I'll be hungry in two hours. And then the next day I wake up starving and my energy's low and my focus is low. And I can't just speak so freely off the top of my head. Like it just thinks like everything's a little slow. Um, and I think brain fog is the best way to describe it. And then those cravings and like constant hunger for most people would be, uh, dramatically impacted so you know that's an interesting conversation of what would be more beneficial uh dirty keto is what we would call that like dirty keto where you are actually in ketosis or a super healthy carb-based diet and i think that would come down to how your body responds to glucose but i do think that there's huge value to maintaining that low insulin state that the camp still could for me lean towards dirty keto and so you think there's like a, a difference in how people respond to glucose so for some people oh, yeah. it might be less detrimental in your opinion to not be on a keto diet than for others or do you still just think that it's i just think everyone should do a healthy keto diet like yeah like and i don't want to i shouldn't say it like as such a blanket statement but yeah. i do say and i say this all the time i think unless there is any specific health reason where you couldn't do keto which i can't think of any specific circumstance honestly why someone shouldn't do keto. Um, I think that everyone should try a properly formulated ketogenic diet for at least two to three months. Like give it a solid two to three months. That's such a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things and see how you feel. And I truly believe this and I've seen it time and time again. Almost everyone will never go back to eating a carb-based diet. They stick to it. It's how different it feels. And again, this is we get so our emotions become tied with nutrition and we get very comfortable with a certain nutritional approach and unwilling to change. And I'm like, what if you could feel so much better? Because that's part of it. Oftentimes people don't recognize that they could feel better because we're used to our normal state. And then once you go into ketosis and you're not having those blood sugar fluctuations throughout the day, that alone is like, oh my goodness. I yeah. had no idea. And like fasting, you know, people try and fast while doing a carb-based diet. Well, fasting on keto is a totally different experience because you're not going into a fast in a low blood sugar state. And then your blood sugar is stable throughout the entire fast. So I think everyone, honestly, if they're able to and really willing to do it properly, if you give yourself two to three months on a keto approach, it will def almost most definitely become the base of your nutrition. Interesting. I'm probably still not going to try it. I don't know why. I, I've always been kind of curious about it, yeah. but I feel pretty great. I feel like most we should, of the time. We should and do. Yeah, but what if you could feel better? Well, I, yeah, I know. What if? But <laughs> I also know that I'm like I'm not gonna stick to it. 
I just okay, but I will say I think that oftentimes people expect it to be a lot more restrictive than it is. I I'm open to the idea that it would be very not restrictive, but for me, what I've come to really enjoy is the fact that I've found this new balance where I can mm-hmm. be eating my kind of style of eating while I'm on my own, and then when I, for the example, this right, past weekend I was camping yeah. for for four days, and I just ate everything that was there with everybody, didn't think twice about it at all. And then just back on plan today. But why not do that and do keto? Like that's, so I say keto based. Yeah. Because if you go into keto expecting, unless you're doing it for therapeutic reasons, right? So that would be specific health reason. Or if you're, you know, like a type one or type two diabetic, then I say that's your daily prescription. You know, you don't get the luxury of flexibility that someone with a totally healthy, you know, metabolism and healthy hormones may get. Um, so I just want to kind of like give that disclaimer of there are people where it is at the prescription, you know, essentially you're doing this so you don't have to take medication or can take less medication. So you maybe don't get the luxury of that flexibility. It's tough, but I think it's much better than, you know, living a life on more medication. So for someone like you, you know, keto base can mean that you are keto maybe the majority of the time. So when you are doing your own thing and then every so often, like, because how often is it that you're camping or yeah, you're it's away? It's not that often. So then I could have the yeah. famous Wadena Bakery yeah, Boston Cream exactly. once. And, and then, then you co- and then you come back to it. And that's the thing. I think again, people set up these boundaries and, you know, preconceived notions about you know, well, I can't do it because I'm not gonna stick to it hundred percent of the time. Well, you don't stick to any diet hundred percent of the time. And that's not the goal. If you go in with that goal, I say if you go in with the goal of perfection, you're inevitably setting yourself up for failure. It's like the most basic form of self sabotage. You've kicked yourself before you've even started because it's not realistic. Like food and social enjoyment is part of the human experience. And so it's not taking away that, but if you could have better health, disease prevention, better longevity by eating keto 90% of the time and then still having, you know, the donuts and that type of thing every now and then, like, I think there's huge value to that. Yeah. And I definitely don't disagree with you. That's actually why, like, I was excited to talk with you about keto. Yeah, I know you're very passionate about it. And you but know I've been not... trying to get you to drink this Kool-Aid for <laughs> yeah. years. But see, I never feel like that. I yeah. feel like you're presenting, like, the research that you have done. Um, you have pretty open-minded um, views on situations like that. And, like, anytime somebody comes in wanting to do keto, that's why I send them to you. Yeah, because I know you. that you'll look after them and have them yeah. doing it properly. Because I'm definitely not against keto like a lot of people in the fitness industry are that yeah. don't do keto. Well, and I do think, like... I also, as much as I'm such a keto advocate and I want everyone to do it and try it and part of it's because I really do believe in the longevity of it. Um, so right now you feel good, which is awesome. And I do take the, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, I think that's a big part of it, but, um, you know, longevity wise, it's, you can start making these choices now, you know, to help you in the future. And so that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it. And I consider it investing in your physical retirement fund. Um, and so oftentimes, like I, I have found being in the health and fitness industry for so long, people are really focused on the right now. Um, and there's not a lot of conversations I feel like with coaches that are about, okay, but also what about 50 years down the road? Um, so like female clients, for example, I'm like, I don't care if you're happy with how you look right now and you're happy with your strength right now. I want you doing resistance training right now so that you don't have osteoporosis in, you know, 
20, 30, 40 years. Like we're going to start making these changes now because this is when you have to make them before it's too late. Like we need to be proactive in it. And I do really feel that way nutritionally as well. Yeah. And I think for those types of changes, it gets harder to make them the later you get into life. You know, like oh God, my yeah. mom got into weight training a couple of years ago, which yes. I think is so cool because yes. yeah, she is great. But normally like, you know, if somebody's in their early fifties or late forties or something like that, they're probably not going to pick up a new oh. lifestyle and just change changing like habits. It's hard. I, I am so inspired to work with so many of the clients that I do who are totally one aiding their nutrition after decades, decades. Yeah. But then again, I always say we have to be patient with ourselves. And I think that's part of it with nutrition and that feeling of failure. We get very dogmatic about, you know, it's all or none. And well, I fell off keto. So that's it. I'm like, you didn't, adopt these habits in eight weeks or 12 weeks, you know, that you're not necessarily going to undo them in eight or 12 weeks as well. Um, and I think, you know, we're so results driven and we want it now. So, you know, I always try to really preach that patience of it's not going to happen overnight, but we can start making these changes, you know, slowly. And with keto, it's a very interesting thing where, you know, so I do a lot of group programs where we work in eight week chunks and I do eight week programs back to back to back so that people can do a few because generally that's what's needed to gain that confidence and gain that consistency. And then eventually they're educated enough and confident enough to go do it on, on their own. You know, that's my goal as a coach. I don't want someone to have to rely on me for the rest of their Forever, life. Yeah. If I'm doing my job right, I should educate them, give them the tools that they need, the confidence they need, and then they can go on their own. You know, like yesterday, I just made a post where a client's, you know, leaving me after eight months and it's so bittersweet but she's gotten what she needs. And that means I did, you did my job. job, you know? So it's just finding that journey on your own and being patient with it and like investing the time. And so the two steps forward, one step back, I think that when it comes to keto specifically, so it's interesting because right in the beginning, once you transition, you're like, Oh yeah, I feel way better. Like I can't believe I ever ate a different way, but then inevitably You'll have a, a camping weekend or something like that where you have some carbs. Sometimes that's reminded to be like, oh, yeah, I feel way worse eating a carb-based diet. And this is why I'm not doing keto because it's forced on me. This is my natural choice because I do feel so much better. So it's a journey. Like, it's a journey for sure. And like I said, I say, like, probably eight to 10 years at this point, I've been keto based. I did have times through bodybuilding where I would go in and out of keto. And it was always a great reminder of how awful I feel when I'm not in keto. Like I just feel 10 times better, you know, eating keto for me, it's a freedom, a food freedom, lifestyle freedom. Like for example, um, I'm fasting right now. Haven't eaten yet. Are you fasting too? You fast. Yeah. 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 Like, so even little things like that, where I'm like, that gives me so much freedom and flexibility. I'm not worried about eating all the time. I'm not worried about having an energy crash or getting hangry or my blood sugar's low. Those are things that I would argue to say are not normal, but have been normalized. Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we should do one of these sometime where there's somebody who has read some of this research you're talking about who's on the opposite side. (laughs) Yes, because I would love to sit in on that and see if or where my perspective shifts to over the course of that debate. Um, Because like I said, I'm pretty open to both sides of it. Um, I don't want to say never because maybe I would try it sometime if I sat sat in on something like that. Um, (laughs) And I still think people have heard so many like misconceptions about the keto diet that it's good to hear somebody sit down with somebody from the opposite side and you guys can talk it through. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can do that another day. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was you just wrote like a power up, it's called, right? So what is it? 
Is it a so, book? Is it a workout journal? What it's is a training it? journal. It's yeah, a training it's a training journal. journal. Okay. Um, yeah, people are like, you published a book? And I'm like, well, technically I published a book, but it's very limited writing on my part. So mostly a, a blank page training journal. And kind of like the training journal, I wish that I, like I, I'm kicking myself. I wish I would have had this for the last 10 years, you yeah. know, versus now because I was training in such a specific way um, with bodybuilding and powerlifting, which we never even got into the powerlifting side of things. But yeah, so it is, you know, kind of marketed for bodybuilder, bodybuilding, powerlifters, weightlifters, but it's great for tracking any, any style of workouts. And you can track like your meals that day, like how your workout felt. So you can really start like dialing in to progressing. You know, and I think oftentimes it's divided where we're thinking about nutrition on its own and the workouts on its own. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was combine the tracking so you can start, you know, recognizing the relationships of, okay, my workouts are better. So this is a nutrition and training journal where they kind of... Kind of. Like the only things I have listed to like track for nutrition is like your pre-workout food, but like pre-workout energy. And so you can start kind of, you know, connecting the dots for things. Um, And it's really simple. It's really simple, but I love tracking things physically versus like on my phone or on an app i do too it's so much like easier. The old school. yeah i don't know i don't know if like the 20 year olds would feel the same way but i feel like for all of us who are like above 25 there's still something to like yeah. putting stuff on paper well and even like i have the like ky fitness app that my clients get and everyone can track their workouts directly in the app and i find most people still want an external like physical tracking method. Like there's just something about it and it's so handy. And yeah, so it was a really cool opportunity to publish it and it just officially launched this week. So how did you even come up with the idea to make something like this? So I, well, this is something funny. It's funny. I always had the idea to publish something like this and I've also wanted to write like more substantial books where I'm writing more than just a few, you know, pages here and there. Um, but I was thinking this would be a great place to start. And then I actually had a publishing company reach out to me and like offer up this opportunity and it couldn't have been more perfect. And I got so they came to, to you. Yeah. And wow. I got to design it and like, you know, add and adjust and, and really make it my own, which was awesome. And they allowed me a lot of freedom with it. So yeah. And That's now it's come cool. to fruition. Yeah. So we started this project in January. Um, and I think it was one of those things for a long time where I was like, maybe it's too good to be true. Like, I don't really know. And, you know, it's all online. Like everything was virtual. Yeah. So I was like, who knows if this is going to be something yeah. that comes to fruition. And then it all worked out. The team's been absolutely amazing. And um, yeah, so hopefully it opens the door to writing some more like serious books in the future. And that was kind of what I wanted to, to use it as like create something I'm super proud of exactly a tool that I want to use and like have always wished that I had because I've used and ordered other training journals where I just feel like they just were always missing something. Yeah. I'm excited to give this one a try because I feel like, you know what somebody (laughs) wants in there. And I've always felt the same way too. Like you're, like you're going to fill stuff out. There's not enough room for certain metrics that you'd like to have. This is like in prep. I would have died to have this really and then too to like have where you can look back in a year and and like see like because so there's pages where you can lift like put your one rep max and like yeah. specific training goals like that your body fat percentage what your goals are things like that so you know more specific than just your daily workouts as well and I wish that I had a stack of these from when I was training twice a day for years that I could go back and like see what I was doing at that time would be such a trip yeah well like my 
buddy Morgan who owns oh, yeah. Max out, he's got journals oh, going yeah. back years. So he can go look back and see what was working for right? him when things were going in the right direction. Yeah. Like it's pretty cool. Yeah. And lots of room to just kind of write your own like notes and feedback about the day yeah, like or whatever. If you're feeling tired that yeah. day or something or yeah. something happened and yeah. Yeah. So it's really cool. I'm excited. And I mean, I, I say it all the time and I know that you would have a similar feeling like, I think we're so blessed to do business in Saskatoon. It's the best place. The community here is so supportive. Yeah. And I really like not to, you know, not give myself props as an entrepreneur, but I have always said, you know, I've been able to thrive and do what I do here because of Saskatoon. And I don't know if I would be able to do it somewhere else, you know, like. Yeah, I literally feel and have said the exact yeah, same thing. Like, obviously, you put in a ton of work and you're a good person and you treat people good. Oh, but yeah, <laughs> but in Saskatoon, it seems like yeah. those things really do come back to benefit yeah. you people because they're such a supportive you. community. Yeah, and even the like rural expansion of it too. Yeah. Like, coming from small towns, well, people come to Saskatoon and so like they come to Supplement World. Like I have so many clients that live in small towns and then they come here and shop at Supplement World, you know? And so it just is so, the support's been awesome and just to see how excited people are and I always am like, this is, I get get opportunities like this because of you and like because of people like you, like you invested in me at, you know, like early 20s, I was not really, I hadn't gone anywhere big with bodybuilding yet and like you gave me an opportunity with Supplement World to be a sponsored athlete and like little things like that. Like it's all because of this community. Yeah. And it's all give and take though. Cause you gave us a lot of exposure and it was fun working with you and stuff too. Oh, so thanks. right. Two way street there. Yeah. But yeah. It's really cool. We notice even like, you know, we opened stores in Edmonton this last year, which was a horrible time to open stores in a new city because of the pandemic. But, um, even like there's tons of people there who are from Saskatchewan. So they go out of their way to come to our store because they know that it's like a Saskatchewan startup. Yeah. It's so cool. And I feel like we've been really blessed in Saskatoon, I think to have a lot of that. And then I think now like with COVID and, you know, hopefully moving to post COVID, it's just that reminder of supporting local and, you know, like sticking with the roots of supporting business here because it goes such a long way yeah and that's awesome i'm glad that you have that support yeah so i think like once these are available we should get some in our stores that'd be cool to yeah be able to sell the sask made book in saskatoon (laughs) um and then you had like they're on amazon right now right yeah so i'm actually we're doing just amazon Amazon. amazon.com amazon.ca and i think because it's just easy you know Super like easy. and do you even have to like warehouse them or are they just somewhere and they no. get shipped off yeah, it's for all you? through the publisher yeah like that's nice yeah so but then it's if i want to have like say a supplement world wants a box like i can order them yeah. at like wholesale price and get them do to it us. that way so yeah like it's just is so cool and so now um i you know have a publisher that i can throw <laughs> that i can throw uh like other ideas at and if they want to publish it we can move forward and yeah it's been a really cool experience and so great way to dip my toes in the water of what does like creating and publishing a book require and what are the steps and you know because they kind of held my hand through the marketing and like pre-order portion of it and so it's been a great learning experience and it seems like it took off pretty quick on amazon didn't it like you were on like the number one page in the in the category (laughs) (laughs) it's been wild it's been wild that's crazy yeah so it got 
it's hit a few like cool spots and it doesn't necessarily stay there for very long, but there's so many books coming and going on yeah. Amazon all the time. So, um, like our goal was under workout journal. So when you just type in workout journal in the search bar to have power up on page one, yep. because that's where it's not just people who know me and are supporting me see it. It's who anyone in the world is coming to look for. They a want a workout journal. journal they're yeah. Yours. So that was really the goal was to get it there. And we did get it to page one a few times. I don't know Congrats. if it's still there. <laughs> so that was awesome. And then, uh, like the bestsellers, like top 100 under like fitness and exercise. So just like little cool things where I'm like, you know what, it's maybe just a workout journal, like, you know, not to undermine it, but that's such a cool thing for me, which, you know, is well, like what a an opportunity, true. right? To yeah. you like a great stepping stone. Okay. Yeah. Well, this was awesome. It was fun. And I feel cool. like we always can talk for five hours, no matter if we're on a podcast or, <laughs> or just hanging out in the store. Yeah. But we'll do another one. We'll argue about keto. Yeah, we'll you and somebody. Keto debate. Yeah. Maybe Mark Morris comes to mind as somebody who would be fun <laughs> to do it with. <laughs> but I appreciate yes, your time. Fun. Yeah. Thanks for having add? me. No, I appreciate it. And make sure you guys subscribe. Yeah. And where can they find your coaching if they want to learn about keto? Oh, kyfitness.ca. Yeah. Kyfitness.ca. Everything's there. And then, KY no Callie Youngstrom is my Instagram changed it yeah oh it's had many reiterations <laughs> and then uh yeah the books power up on amazon.ca and amazon.com okay thanks Callie thanks Josh